Hey, I'm Marty Taylor, and you're listening to the Practical Worship Podcast. Well, hello, and welcome to the Practical Worship Podcast. I'm Dave Dolphin, and this show was created to help you lead a worship band and be a leader of people. And we release a new episode on the first Friday of every month, so make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on whatever app you're using to listen to your podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. This is episode number five, and I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation. It's centered all around this question, what happens when you you realize that you're not that church anymore, and you realize it days before one of the biggest events that your church does. Well, we're going to hear from Marty Taylor, who is someone that has led creative arts ministries at some pretty large churches, including Church on the Move in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is known for its legacy and creativity. And there was a moment a few years back where Marty played a major role in a pretty significant decision as Church on the Move was realizing that what got them to where they are wasn't going to get them to the next level level, that what has worked in the past didn't seem appropriate anymore, which is something we should always be asking of our methods on a regular basis, and something I think Church on the Move has actually done pretty well overall. It's also a conversation about the importance of vulnerability and authenticity in the church. It's always been important, but I think now more than ever, just because of the the day and age that we live in and the generations and the people that we're trying to reach, it's really really important. We have a webpage dedicated with show notes for this podcast episode where you can find links to all the things we're going to mention in the episode. Just go to practicalworshipblog.com slash podcast five. And now here's my conversation with Marty Taylor. Marty Taylor, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So you when I when I was thinking about doing a podcast and, and just you know the opportunities that are there you're you're one of the first people I thought of because you and I have been trying to connect for a while where you know we've had phone calls and Skype calls where you know, I I knew I wanted to collaborate with you on something but we just had to figure out the vehicle you know whether it be you know a YouTube video or whatever and I just when I realized the the beauty of a podcast is that it's a whole lot easier to collaborate because you just need a Skype connection and you have a little bit more time to unpack some of these things versus like a 10-minute YouTube video. Right. You're like one of the first people that I thought of. I was like, oh, if I'm going to do a podcast, this I'm, I'm calling Marty Taylor. Um, and we'll get in, we'll unpack a little bit here in a second, like, you know, where all that came from. But I just want you to know that like when, when the podcast came into existence, you're like one of the first people is like, well, this will solve a problem with, with Marty Taylor. Cause I feel like you've got a, an important story to share and a great perspective that I think is going to, to help a lot of people. Well, I'm really grateful to be a part of this. I'm glad we got to finally make this happen. You know, you and I have a long, long time mutual friend who kind of in some way brought us together, right? Is that correct? Yeah. So, so Chris Garish uh, is a friend of ours and uh, he, you know, he's over there at Stream Monkey and, and uh, we've actually done a video with, uh, with his company on, uh, on my YouTube channel. I used to drive Chris's school bus back when he was in middle school. So that kind of dates me a little bit. And now he runs his own company. Yeah. And a lot of what he does at that company, 
really kind of stems from some of your leadership and pushing him uh, to do some of the things that he's doing now. Well, Chris, when I first got into full-time ministry, Chris was my very first employee. He was 19 years old, fresh out of high school. And uh, we, man, we spent a lot of years serving together uh, in multiple churches, um, both here in Oklahoma and in Orlando, Florida. And yes, you're right that uh, Stream Monkey and the the way they serve churches through web streaming and, and all the technology stuff they do really grew out of the ministry work that um, he did at the church there in Florida. So it's it's really cool to see how the impact of this 19-year-old kid has hit so many churches, uh, hundreds, hundreds of churches across the country, and helping them uh, be connected to people every week. So that's cool. It is cool. And I think it's funny, too. I mean, again, like my vantage point is um, I, you know, I drove a school bus and then there's all these people I connect with. And every, you know, I'll see, you know, I'll see a picture or whatever. And I'm like, oh, there's Chris with Andrew Stone or, oh, there's Chris with, you know, Marty Taylor. And like, you know, it's just everywhere I turn around, like, there's Chris. It's like, who would have thought it that this kid that I taught drum lessons to um, and, you know, and drove his school bus, you know, look at the things that he's doing now and super humble guy and a great person to work with. I'm going to put in the show notes all the things to, to his, you know, to his company and what they do. You know, if you're looking into web streaming, he's definitely the first call that I would make. We even did a video together uh, about what their company does. I'll put all that stuff in the, in the show notes so you can, you can look that up. But Marty, if you would just kind of uh, give people a little bit of, of the journey in terms of like where you've been, like you've mentioned working with Chris and that was at that journey church. And, um, but, you know, kind of walk people through you know, some of the opportunities and where you've been led over the last several years. Well, let's see for the past 25 plus years, I've been in some way connected to full-time ministry, either, uh, for about 20 of that, I've been in full-time church ministry, started early on as a youth pastor, which uh, God saved me from because I was probably the worst worst youth pastor in the history of youth <laughs> pastors, but maybe not. Uh, but I did do that for a while. I was very involved with youth ministry, and I knew I had a calling on my life uh, for ministry, and it it just seemed obvious that youth ministry was where that was supposed to be. But uh, ultimately, I ended up in creative ministry and uh, served in several churches, um, was part of a, a church called Journey Church that was a church plant and grew really quickly. I was part of Northland Church in Orlando, Florida, uh, which was uh, just yeah, I describe them as the most innovative church you've never heard of. Uh, a lot of people <laughs> don't even know who they are, even though they were, you know, a church of twenty thousand with uh, and had pioneered uh, many, many things in the church, including multi-site and web streaming and a lot of things like that. Which, like, that was one of the first churches uh, that that actually streamed their service on on an iPhone, right? It was the very first church to ever stream a church service on an iPhone, yes. First church to ever have a Roku channel, stream live to a Roku channel. Uh, as far as I know, they were the first church to ever have an online pastor. 
one of the very first churches to do multi-site um, and they've done it in ways that were incredibly unique uh, with concurrent worship going on along uh, across all the campuses at the same time, which was a huge technological undertaking. Uh, the logistics on that is crazy. Right. It was, uh, it was a nightmare, um, but uh, very cool to see at, at many times. And so I uh, served there and then, uh, ultimately, my most recent position at a church was as the creative director and arts pastor at Church on the Move here in Tulsa. And, and that's where I think the story gets interesting. And this is kind of where we connected, because I think I hit you up on Twitter one time, like over a year ago, I think. And and, and I wanted to ask this question, you know, because one, I mean, you, you know, the person that had that position was Whit George. Correct. And so you're following Whit George, who, you know, you know, under his leadership, you know, Church on the Move is 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 known for, you know, some of the, the most creative things that have come out of church. I remember the first time I saw the Dad Life video. That's the first time I ever even heard of, of Church on the Move. I saw this video and I was like, I got to know who these people are that did this because this is so well done. And then to find out it was a church, I was like, are you kidding me? And, you know, and Church on the Move for many, many years would do these big, huge Christmas productions, like huge, like like stuff that you would spend seventy five dollars a ticket to see. And and obviously they would do it for free, but they were these big, huge variety shows and and they're they're well known for this. And, you know, even at their seeds conference, uh, a lot of times at the seat conference, they would redo some of the numbers that they did in the show so that the people at the conference could see it. They got people hanging from you know, from the ceiling and lasers and, you know, big, huge dance numbers and styrofoam organs and, I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff. And um, I've noticed a change. I noticed a turn a couple of years ago where instead of these big, huge, elaborate Christmas shows, it was more of this kind of smaller, intimate, elegant Christmas programs that was really focused on, like, the music. And so there's a story in that where while you were the creative arts pastor that uh, you guys were ready to go on a particular number and I mean, and, and, and you cut it. And so I wanted you to take a moment and share that story. Sure. Well, I, you know, you're right that uh, with George who had that role uh, prior to me, um, was and still is one of the most creative thinkers I've ever met and one of the strongest and most passionate leaders I've ever met. And he had uh, a well-earned reputation for creating things that were incredible. Um, Dad life video and the, um, the uh, Grinch uh, slash Michael Jackson's thriller Christmas piece, uh, a church on the move, lot, lots of things like that that were just, you know, memorable moment after memorable moment. And it was intimidating to step into that role uh, after him, and you know, not only just for me, but just for the the team that was learning to function without him in that seat. He had moved up to the executive pastor role and has ultimately now moved up to the senior pastor role there. Um, but, you know, th- those were big expectations and big shoes to fill. Yeah. And uh, I was a very different kind of 
creative leader there than he was. Um, I am a, I am a high collaboration leader who uh, really focuses a lot on bringing lots of ideas to the table and seeing how they all uh, meld together and uh, developing people and developing their skill sets and things like that. And uh, didn't walk in with, uh, I, I don't walk into the room with as clear a vision for how something ought to be as Wit does. Anyway, so we were uh, creating our first Christmas service there without him. And, you know, there was a, there was a, a legacy we were trying to continue, uh, an expectation, not even just for our own people, what we thought our people needed, but even for the people who, uh, you know, watch all these services through uh, the Seeds website and the Seeds conference and things like that, and trying to, you know, continue to bring some innovative thought. And we had a lot of great pieces in that service, but the uh, we created one piece in particular that was um, centered around this idea of Jack Frost and Jack Frost controlling the weather uh, for Christmas and um, this almost like mad scientist laboratory kind of thing where he's got this big weather machine that controls the weather and we spent hours and hours and hours writing lyrics, writing music, spending time in the studio. We created huge set pieces and costumes. We had uh, hours and hours of choreography and lots of people involved in this number. And it was a big, big deal. Snow machines, the whole deal. And we get to dress rehearsal. There was struggles with the piece along the way. But we felt like it was going to come together. And we get to dress rehearsal and really, we felt like we're, there was some uh, some problems with it creatively and had some struggles with that. But I think more than that, what we felt was uh, this piece uh, was Jordan uh, Weston, who was young worship leader at the church. He had done these thematic things before. He had, was the guy who flew in the air a few years before and some things like that. He was the central character. He was Jack Frost in this piece. And it just felt like this isn't right. He is our he is our worship pastor. He's our and we've got them, him in this caricature role. And it just didn't, it didn't feel real. It didn't feel authentic. And it just didn't feel like who we were as a church. And we had to stop. We stopped rehearsal and we sat and talked for a long, long time about what to do about this piece. And you're talking, we have probably a hundred people there just sitting and waiting on us, wondering what's going on. And sat and talked about it and ultimately realized this isn't right. We got to cut it. And it hurts. It was, yeah, it hurt our pride. It hurt, um, our reputation in some regard. Um, it hurt, you know, because we felt like we weren't living up to an expectation or we had failed, but we all knew it was the right thing to do. Um, both creatively, but more than that, just authentically for, who we were as a church and who we were becoming as a church. 
And that is that was sort of like a, a marking point that started to affect things from that point moving forward even more of how the services were planned, how things were approached. And I think if you look at a contrast between who Church on the Move used to be and who they are now, what you will see is a a lot less emphasis on wow and a lot more emphasis on just raw authenticity and, uh, as Witt says, pointing people to the real Jesus, which is, to me, a, a fantastic thing and where we ought to be. So, And what I think is interesting is that, you know, Jordan— had been that type of character in other bits in the past. You know, he was the Grinch in the Grinch piece. Correct. You know, he was the guy that flew, you know, in the air for uh, for the Santa Slay, you know, rocket thing or whatever that was called. Right. Like, he had been that character before. So, in a way, you were just doing what you've always done. But this year, it was different. That's right. It, it just—part of it was just, you know— the, Jordan's leadership had increased his uh in his his maturity as a worship leader and his leadership had developed and um that was part of it part of it was it just didn't feel right the piece just didn't feel right but it just all culminated with you know this isn't this thing isn't who we are anymore and that's where uh, you know I think the 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 big turning point was that it wasn't just a creative decision. It was a cultural decision uh, about where the church is um, going to be creatively moving forward. And uh, Witt was a part of that decision. And I know a lot of that had to be hard for him because of the legacy of creativity he had built there. And knowing how many people would look to that. And I think people still do look to church on the move uh, creatively. I mean, it's still a very, very, very creative church. Yeah. Create things that are very innovative. Production is of high quality and the excellence is off the charts, but it's, you know, those, those things are, I think, you know, approached through a different lens than they um, may have been before. And it's not that, people weren't concerned about authenticity then i think that the church you know went through a, there was a a long period of time that was great where the you come out of the um i'm just speaking from my own point of view the 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 charismatic you know uh hosanna worship culture of the 80s right or the you know the traditional church model that was even prior to that and that a lot of people were still a part of with the hymns and such into this model that was where people started having lights and the music was a lot more rock and roll. And, uh, the, the pastors weren't wearing ties and suits. And it was a, an era where people were taking notice saying, man, this is a church. I've never seen a church like this before. And it kind of broke the stigma a little bit. It, and gave uh, this whole opportunity for people who were seeking something different to come and find a different kind of church. And I think that we, I think we did uh, a lot of good there, but 
sometimes, you know, it's, it's easy to get caught up in the, the wow and the fun of what you're doing. And I think that we may have lost a, lost our way a little bit in becoming a little too gimmicky and a little too showy in what we were doing. And I, I'm not speaking of church on the move. I'm speaking of just in general. Yeah. Well, I, I remember talking to some of the people, like I got several friends that work over at Life Church because that's here in our backyard. And, and, uh, and they made an interesting point in that, you know, what, like what they do and what a lot of churches do with, you know, with lights and a band and Chris Tomlin songs and Bethel and stuff like that. Like we look at that as it's modern, it's fresh, it's innovative. And it's like, no, it's the new traditional. That's the new traditional church. And the reason that we know that is like when you see a church plant, what does their style generally look like? Right. What you just described, the, you know, the, the the guy wearing jeans and an untucked shirt and, um, you know, and there's, a, you know, really well done graphic design and you got a band with lights and, and, and all of that. And so, yeah, there's been it seems like there's there is this shift uh, in terms of style. And, you know, through the 90s and through the 2000s, it's probably what we needed. And but just like anything, the pendulum swings a little too far one way and then as as you need to you got to you know as you adjust as you also you got you know now the millennials are kind of running the show you know you got people in their in their 20s and 30s where you know they're for lack of a better term their bs meter is super sensitive right and 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 like i have people on my worship team that are like oh i'm so thankful that you don't we don't use we don't use haze that we don't have smoke machines you know we don't and and not to say that if you do it's it's bad uh it's certainly a, it, the way you use it it's a great design element and things like that but there was just this idea of like can we just cut through it all and just be real right and, and like and that i think that all like you said i think it always needed to be there but like now more than ever I think that's what people are craving. Well, I think, you know, it was, it, there's a couple of pieces to it. I think you're right that there was, a, it, you know, it, it has become the new traditional in the sense that it used to be different. Now it's, that's what everybody's trying to be in some way. And part of the problem with that is that not everybody can do it well and not everybody that's for a lot of places it's just not authentic to who they are as a church community they're trying to be something they're not um for the sake of trying to be cool thinking that's what they're supposed to do be cool or whatever and it just does it comes across as a bad copy of something and I think that you know one of the things that I I'm so happy about that whole era of the church is there was there's a a pursuit and a recognition of the need for excellence that you know you can't just come in with a bunch of people who haven't practiced their music at all and you pick a couple of songs in the moment and expect that you're going to create something engaging that you need to put in time that that our worship is worth the time. It's worth the effort to create a beautiful worship experience um, because it's for God. We're, we're giving it to God. Yeah. And that's, you know, and putting our very best into it, bringing our best act of worship is admirable and, and good. And that can be done in any style. 
that can be done in whatever is the right fit for who your church community is. It doesn't have to be done in the style of my shirt's untucked and the guitars are loud and the room's hazy. It can be done in any environment. Uh, excellence, excellence and the uh, pursuit of excellence transcends musical style and fashion style and room haze, you know? Yeah. So I think that that's a, you know, we, we cultivated this, this urgency for excellence in the process. I think we should hang on to that. Um, but the, what's, what we've, what I've seen, and I think what a lot of people are seeing is that they're, that, as you said, the millennials have a good BS meter and what they're looking for is something real and raw and authentic. And I think, you know, if you look at things like social media is flooded with bad video and bad audio and, uh, and videos that go viral are many times poorly produced or even just off the cuff, you know, you got people's phones and whatnot, but they're all within, you see them all within this structure of excellence. The Facebook platforms designed with excellence, the Twitter platforms designed with excellence, Instagram, even just your web browser, it's all designed with excellence. So it's authenticity within a framework that's not chaotic. And I think that's a good model for how we can balance uh, being real and vulnerable and authentic in what we create with excellence, that it doesn't have to be all showy. Some of it can be very raw and real, but we can still create a framework of excellence with how we present that and, and bring that to people. So as a uh, worship pastor or a creative arts pastor, or someone that's in charge of that at their church and you know, and it's kind of resonating with them. And they're like, yeah, we need to make some changes. So how would you recommend, how would you shepherd someone to say, okay, as you lead your church through this change, uh, here's, you know, I would do this. I would look out for this. How would you, how would you lead them into their next steps? Well, I think there's a couple of uh, longstanding and ancient things that have always been present in the church that we can be focused on that will lead you down the right path. One is thinking about liturgy. The other is story. There's a scripture that says, you know, a lot of us know it from the song, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. But most of the versions say, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. And that's what, that's what, you know, testimony is all about. You're telling your story. And there's, I love this, surge of storytelling that's happening in the church these days that is um a lot of it it's a, you know the, people are focused on great filmmaking and things like that and i love that creative expression but a lot of it's just the raw fact that people's lives have been changed and they're getting a venue to share it and it's a story being told um beyond the sermon or as part of the sermon that is a demonstration of the truth and the power within the sermon so I think if you can focus a lot on being, telling real, authentic stories uh, and having a, a clear path of worship that's, that's leading people on a journey and not just exciting them with big song at the beginning and then a medium song and then a slow song and then I got to do a big song to wrap things up, you know, not, not letting style necessarily drive 
what you do in worship or uh, or form, but letting a content and storyline drive you, I think is a big deal. Yeah, and I've I've tried to in our personal ministry, uh, I've tried to look for opportunities to pull back the curtain, and you certainly don't do it like you know all the time, but there's also this tendency of like I'm gonna. I'm going to hide this and no one's ever going to see this. And and just there's a certain point where you go, you know what? It would be really good to share this. Like I've got a video on my YouTube channel where I, I basically took a clip from uh, from a service where we were getting ready to introduce the song Reckless Love. And I was talking about, you know, setting up, you know, the idea of using the word reckless to describe God's love. And I, I kind of want to give some framework. I, I felt like our church would be okay with it. We've done some things in the past. So it wasn't a, a, a totally new concept, but I felt like it warranted the the setup. But in the process, I also shared just my own personal story of, as a worship pastor, to get a new song on the stage, I had to live with that song for days and days and weeks and weeks and I'm going to do it now. I'm going to break up now. Um, it wrecked me. It just, this, this listening to the song and just, you know, and the, the crux of the song being just how overwhelmingly crazy God is for us. I personally needed that in my own life, which is the struggles and the things I was wrestling with. And so, you know, if, if we use excellence and perfection as the, as the goal, like this is the standard, it has to be, you know, polished into this level. Well, then in that moment, I failed because I totally just broke down and cried right there on the stage. But there's those moments where you can pull back and say, you know what? I understand I'm a pastor. I understand there's these lights on me. I understand that my Instagram looks like I have it all figured out. And you look at my YouTube channel and you're like, man, I really wish I was at his church. And he's got all these things. And it's like, man, even you, I mean, you were in what I would consider like the pinnacle role of, of creative arts in the church. You know, Church on the Move is like one of the, you know, one of the top churches that I can think of in terms of like creativity and what it's really contributed to the, to the, the, the capital C church at large. And here you are in this role that people would probably give their left arm to be in. And here you are in it. And it's like, you know what? It's not all roses. There are those moments where it, you know, it's like, I just want you to know that it isn't all uh, roses and I don't have it all figured out and I'm not, I'm not going to go to extra efforts to hide it. Well, we, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about places I've worked and churches I've served in. Uh, what we didn't say is that I don't work at church on the move anymore. I left there over a year ago and um, there's, a, you know, exactly what you're talking about is, is my story that, for years and years, I served in leadership roles in some big, really big churches. And, um, but also for years and years, uh, I had some personal struggles in my own life, uh, problems in my marriage that, um, as much as I hate to admit it, I tried to navigate all those problems on my own. And that was, you know, nobody's fault but mine. I, um, you know, call it pride or shame or selfishness, whatever you want to call it. Those were uh, things that I felt, you know, it, it wasn't a, a lack of uh, conviction or a desire to for those things to be better. It was a, 
a desire for them to be better between just me and God and nobody else, um, or, or just me and God and my wife and nobody else. And, um, you know, for periods of time, those, that, that really worked. You, know, you can, you can white knuckle your way through almost anything for a while. Uh, if you have enough, enough drive, I'm a pretty driven person, but, um, the reality is all those things, you know, kept coming back up in our life. And we finally reached a point where, um, knew we couldn't navigate those things any longer on our own. So I sat down with my leader at the church. I shared with him what I should have shared years before. And I finally allowed some real vulnerability to exist in my life. And uh, I tell you, Dave, it was the hardest thing I've ever, ever, ever done in my life. Uh, it, it's it's even hard to admit <laughs> on something that I know is being recorded, but it's also uh, outside of following Jesus is probably the greatest decision I've ever made. And um, I have seen God work so much, not only in my life, but in um, the lives of people that I worked with and uh, the lives of many of my friends, uh, my children. And what I have seen more than anything is that, um, that grace, you can't beat grace. There's ultimately, there is nothing, nothing that you can do that will be able to overcome the power of grace. And I am blown away by, um, what God is, what God has done uh, through that process. And I'm, I'm a champion now for, uh, vulnerability and authenticity. I love that. That's, that is the direction I see the church going in. And I think we have a long way to go in many ways, but I love that we're creating an environment where people don't have to put on a face and put on a mask. They don't have to dress a certain way. They don't have to hide who they've been or even who they are. Um, they can they can come and experience love and grace and truth in their life and share their story. Uh, they can, uh, you know, enrich each other's lives. And that's what church is all about. And I love that that's, that that's where we're, we're headed. Well, and I think that, you know, to, to, to bring some of that authenticity back into what we do in terms of creative arts and music and whatnot in the church, for those of us that are in charge, it's got to start with us. Absolutely. I, you, you know, there's, it, it's interesting that the higher your leadership equity becomes in a role in the church, the, the harder it becomes to remain truly vulnerable and authentic. And, uh, I certainly experienced that in my own life. And I, I see not only the, the need and the power of being vulnerable and authentic in your own life as a leader, but you have to also create an environment for your team where they can do the same. There has to be that, you know, if we want to truly 
create these real, authentic worship experiences that point people to who Jesus really is. If we don't have true vulnerability in our own life and with our team, we we can't do that to the to our fullest potential. I'm, we can have moments of it, certainly, but to to really do that well, I think we have to we have to the authenticity has to exist, and and more than that, just the vulnerability with each other has to exist in our team to be able to uh, for that to be reflected and shine through the worship services we're creating. And we have to create the environment for that. As leaders in the church have to have to create that environment and give permission for that to happen. And, and sometimes there's going to be it's going to be the right choice for someone to not be in an active role in ministry for a while or whatever, or maybe they take a sabbatical or whatever. Sometimes you can walk through it in in the midst of working together. But it's all a matter of you know what. How are we going to love people through their their dark times and take them from those dark times into the light? Are we going to shove them by the wayside because they didn't meet a standard and we're just going to push them out? Or are we going to lo- love them and walk them through it? And that's the environment we have to create where people have the permission to uh, to be broken and know that they're going to be met with, uh, with care at, in a hospital versus uh exile <laughs> uh, like they're a leper so and, and i think that's changing that i thank god that that uh, i mean my story is that church on the move met me and my family with more grace and love than i could have ever imagined and uh you know the way i always hoped a church would respond to this kind of thing that's what i experienced and and I'm grateful for it, and I'm grateful for them, and I think that uh, it's a it's a testament to uh, who they are as a church and uh, who Whit George is as a leader there and the pastors there, and um, some of what you see God doing there. So, I think right there shows the power of being authentic and vulnerable when we're honest about who we are and our shortcomings, that seems to be the moments where we see God move in big and powerful ways. And I appreciate Marty's willingness to share all of that in hopes that it might help you in your ministry and just your personal relationship with God. I think it's important, too, to mention that as Church on the Move was discovering that they weren't that church anymore. It doesn't mean that they should have never been that church in the first place. It's not that they were discovering that they were wrong all this time. What they were doing in their services and how they were trying to reach people was exactly what was needed at the time. It's just that they were discovering that things were changing and they needed to be intentional about changing as well. I think we can all take a page from that playbook. I'm going to put a link to that 2015 Celebrate Christmas service video so you can see the service that Marty was talking about where they cut the Jack Frost bit. But I'm also going to put a link to their 2016 Christmas service, which was a year later. It has a completely different feel. And that's the service where you really see the effects 
of the decision that they made. You can find show notes for this episode with links to those two videos, plus everything else that we've mentioned throughout the show at practicalworshipblog.com slash podcast five. Kobayashi left this review of the Practical Worship podcast. It says, as a worship department manager, this is the best podcast I listen to on a regular basis. Keep them coming, Dave Dolphin. Well, (laughs) Kobayashi will do. That is very kind of you to say, and thank you for taking the time to share that. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd love it if you would consider leaving an honest five-star rating and review on iTunes. If this podcast is helpful, those ratings and reviews tell iTunes to put the show in front of more and more people so it can be helpful to more and more people. Now, for fans of the Practical Worship YouTube channel, I have good news. You have probably seen that I haven't been releasing new weekly content since June, except for a few one-offs here and there. The channel has been on pause over the summer, but I'm pleased to announce that new weekly videos will start back up on Tuesday, September the 4th. So if you haven't already, head over to youtube.com slash practical worship to become a subscriber. That way you're notified when new videos are added to the channel. I'm also working on some premium content that will be in the form of a private video live stream workshop. We're going to talk about what you can do to strengthen the relationship between the worship ministry and the tech ministry of your church. These two ministries have to work together to make Sunday happen, but the people that typically gravitate towards the worship ministry and the people that typically gravitate towards the tech ministry are usually cut from different kinds of cloth, and it can create this tension between the two ministries. So in this workshop, I'm going to share with you why I think this is so we can understand the problem better and what you can do to help bring these two groups of people together as one cohesive team. I'll have more details on that in the next episode of the podcast, and you can always connect with me on social media as well to stay up to date on everything. This has been the Practical Worship Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dave Dolphin, and let's do this again next month.